Well, 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 we're back, ready to rock and roll. We are. Let's see, what are we doing right now? Uh, The last episode that was released to the feed was Buy, Sell, Hold of 2020. Mm -hmm. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, The stinger at the end was a a preview of our next bonus episode coming out in a couple days, um, which Amanda Nelson will be joining Rebecca and I to... We don't really have much of a structure right now, but we're going to talk about the pilot of the West Wing um, as yeah. a as a pilot in itself. But then the West Wing is a cultural phenomenon. I think a lot of us are re re wading into the pools of possibility and optimism mm-hmm. <laughs> politically, and there is no warmer bath for that for those of us of a certain per- political persuasion than the West Wing. I think Amanda is beginning a rewatch. We mm-hmm. might do some other episodes around it. We'll see how it goes. But like for people of our-ish age, right, um, yep. you guys are a little bit younger than I am, but it, it was a, it's a foundational civics document, I think, in a way I, that's kind of hard to explain, I think, to people that don't get yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's true. And and I came late to it. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I didn't watch it when it was first airing, but... I think we were talking about this offline, a not small percentage of the things that I understand about how American government works, I understand, like, specifically because of the West Wing. Right. One of the pleasures of it is you learn a little something Mm -hmm. along the way, you know, Um, and there are problems with the West Wing, Uh, the pilot, you know, it is a 21 year old document at this point. And Mm -hmm. among liberalism, and the left 20 it's been a very important 20 years for how people on the left left understand the world so i think that will be interesting but also um as a artistic document uh we look forward to it's something we all are interested in it's not really bookish though it kind of maybe it's whatever we're gonna do it because we want to what is a bonus (laughs) you you don't want to listen to it yeah i think it, it falls into that class of tv show that you can read in some way, yes, right. uh, in the way that yeah. we talked about reading Mad Men. Uh, so I'm feeling just fine about doing some episodes. No, it's our show. Get your here. own podcast. But yeah, Sorkin starts out as a playwright. It's very writerly. It's one, probably mm-hmm. the most writerly of any mainstream TV show. Certainly ne- just regular. I mean, that's not NBC. This is network. This is not HBO. This is not even AMC in the Mad Men world. Um, very interesting in that regard. Now I'm... Sp- spoiling all my notes about how to think about uh, what's going on there. But if you want to rewatch the pilot ahead of time, great. If not, that's what we're going to do. Um, we will talk about all West Wing things. So if you don't want to be spoiled, I would watch out there. But th- that's what we're going to do next. <sighs> what else is coming up on the bonus episode train? I, I, don't, I don't have it in Oh, yeah. We are also going to have our favorite books of 2020, just yep. you and me, the ones mm-hmm. we liked this year, <laughs> the right. ones that we happen to read and like this year. And out of, <laughs> Mine's going to be a of... super weird list. I'm so <laughs> sorry ahead of time. <laughs> I'm really ready for your super weird <laughs> list. Very strange list. Yeah, I just kind of got back on the front list train a couple of mm-hmm. months ago after I spent, you know, all summer hanging out with E.B. White. So mine is going to be an interesting list also. Um, but if you have favorite books of 2020 that you want to tell us about, you can do that at podcast at bookriot.com. And right. then we'll get into our uh, moms, dads, and not moms, dads, and grads. It's not the spring anymore, our right. holiday recommendation show. So you can still send us your requests also at podcast at bookriot.com. I haven't done a count. I got a, another wave after the last episode. I think I'm pretty sure that if you still email us now, you're going to get a... You have a fair shot of making um, air 
with your recommendation Great. request. Got a couple of tough ones, but uh, sometimes these don't take very long because <laughs> we do our homework and then we <laughs> don't have anything to say about them because we don't know the books. <laughs> so those sometimes go quicker. All right, let's do a quick break and then I've got some follow-up and there are some news things going on this week. Good deal. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Uh, follow up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I wrote down this in my notes, but I didn't actually capture who wrote us to say this. So this is regarding to our, um, I'd say, fairly vociferous castigations of Publishers Weekly for having only one adult list. The reason we thought it was weird they only have one adult list is because they don't only have one adult list. Uh, if you navigate to the link, and I'll do a link in the show, it's Publishers Weekly Best Book of 2020. In our defense, the UX is a problem. Because like, you go you go in, and this is very, I'm clicking very, on it right now. So go. I'm not looking at it. I'll walk you through it. Uh, Podcasters Theater of the Mind, Rebecca. So everyone can imagine us browsing the internet together. Um, you go there and you see there's the, the, the cover of the issue and then there's the, uh-huh. the full list or the top 10 and then there's the kids red button, right? Yeah. You see that? Now, yes. let your eyes drift up to that weird bar of black, gray on black categories. Uh-huh. Click on that. Oh, got it. So, so those... Hmm. It is... T- so it's <laughs> not an editorial problem. Like they did That's- the thing we want them to do. But from a user experience point of view, that I didn't even see intuitive. that. It looks like yeah. just categories for random stuff on the page. You can't navigate just, it to another way. It's not like the children's books are arranged when you get to those. So right. I will it take like some the of top, the blame. Right. It looks like the top site nav. Yeah, it looks like not, nav. It looks like site nav. It doesn't look like list nav. That's exactly right. That's a good way of putting it. So... Okay, well, I stand by my fist shaking then. Well, we will, we, will, we will redirect our fist shaking from the reviewing strategy to the UX experience. Yeah. These are still interesting lists, though. I clicked on the fiction list, and it is um, yes, following, that, following that pattern that we mm-hmm. had identified from the top 10 of mostly not big, flashy, uh, like, f- you know, popular books of the year, which I'm mm. really happy to see there is a lot of interesting stuff here and several that I hadn't heard of. Um, so I'm glad that that seems to be consistent at least. Yeah. Interesting list. Okay. Well, um, Publishers Weekly to- does a lot of things well. They're the only ones that do what they do. And we talk about a lot of their reporting over there. I really admire what they do. Uh-huh. It's a very difficult job. Their user experience on the site hasn't changed in a while. Yeah. Thank you to whoever set us straight yeah, about this. I'm, I'm I never sure. would have gotten there on my own. <laughs> yeah, the, the person I remember was a little uh, 
they they were a little incredulous that we incredulous that um we didn't see it because like but they're there and I'm like they're there and I went back and I was like where and I, I really had to do some sleuthing of like just click I was like because uh, like it's dark gray on black uh, I mean it's yeah, a, it's a tough it's beat not. I mean I, I wanted to look we could have done our homework and I, I'm not Maggie Haberman here I don't know what to tell you I was just looking at the thing <laughs> both of us were looking for it and still couldn't find it that's all yeah, you need I to know our confusion is evidently genuine yeah in that right. episode <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 that that is a fair. That's a very fair thing uh, to say. Um, other, I mean, okay, I've got some just a quick, quick other things. But you know, the the my follow up notes, things that didn't make it into to your show notes. Mm. There's a scene we talked about in Jurassic Park, one of the great scenes in, in film, when they're um, in the jeeps and the power's off, and they hear the the thun the the, mm-hmm. the steps of the Jurass- of the T Rex coming, and you see those little shock waves in the glasses. That's what's happening this week in books, and the T-Rex is Obama's A Promised Land, because there's a lot of stuff going on around it right now. Uh-huh. Maybe maybe we're even seeing the eyes of the T-Rex. Don't move. He can't see if you don't move. I mean, maybe we're frozen in mm-hmm. front of the, the the modified Ford Explorer. A couple of things. One is Oprah got the big interview for her, yep. for her Apple TV Plus series. Um, not a surprise, I guess. Nope. I'm sure he will be doing other things. Some of the audio excerpts of Leak, Penguin Random House released um, some of the audio. You know, if you've listened to any, mm-hmm. we've all heard Obama talk. It's not a surprise, but it's out there too. And the thing I was most interested to see were there going to be reviews ahead of time. I didn't know if mm-hmm. there were review copies or not. The Times at least has one. And did you see this? No, I didn't. I saw an excerpt from the book earlier today, yeah. but I did not see the Times review. Tell me. Well, let, let me play this game since we're we don't have a lot of news. We can just play around a little bit too, because normally we're just straight and narrow, straight and narrow us all the time. But um, <laughs> give me your top five picks for who you want to read. Who whose review of Obama's memoir do you want? Oh God, this assumes that I know who the New York Times reviewers are. No, no, it could be um, anybody. This is freelance. Oh, you got the whole. You got the whole. Let's let's say they're alive, but that's about the only okay. grounds you have, right? Tanahasi Coates. Okay, Coates is one. I got putting that. I'm putting that Robinson. on the board. I'm like Vanna White now. I'm putting your letters on the board. Okay. <laughs> okay. I want Marilyn. Coates. Marilyn. Okay. Although yeah. they might be too friendly for her to review his okay. book, but okay. it's not like All that's right. ever stopped people before. So I want no, no, Marilyn no, no. That's, Robinson's that's thoughts not, on that's the That's not a problem book. in the book reviewing world, generally speaking. Okay, and yeah. we're we're doing our uh, wishes, not like yeah. court of rightness about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love. Hmm. Like, you're not guessing here. I don't want I'm you to guess. I want to hear who you. Yeah, would no, like. I'm thinking about it. Okay, I think, okay. um, I think Roxanne Gay would be obvious. Actually, no, I want Tressie McMillan Cotton Cottom's mm-hmm. review okay. of this, and maybe somebody who crosses between like the social justice and mm-hmm. religious communities. Oh, um, okay, interesting. I wonder who. That yeah. Oh, Cla- there like was a, like a Claudia Rankine kind of person. A Claudia Rankine, or like a there was a ba- oh not Baptist. There was an Episcopal bishop on Brene Brown's podcast. Recently. Oh yeah, I remember. I, I know who you're talking. about. I think about. his name he is Michael Curry. Yeah, I might yeah. be wrong. I think his name is too. Michael Curry. Yeah. Yeah. I would, and his book is about like hope and kindness. I would like a mm-hmm. review like that. Okay. Um. I, I don't want a Dwight Garner review of the Obama No, no, book. it's it's none of those. It's none of the usual, you know, bespectacled Ooh, suspects. Jasmine Ward. That's a good, yeah, um, that's a good uh, pick, too. I would take a Jasmine Ward review or a Tyari Jones review or, like, Kiese yeah. Lehman. Mm-hmm. Um, You're getting I've warmer. Met. You're warmer okay. in that, into now the actual guessing, warmer. yeah. 
All think right. Coates is who I would pick. I think Coates would be my number one overall draft pick, too. Um, someone you may know, Chimamanda. Chimamanda. Oh. Interesting. And I read the first and, I, I read the first and last because I wanted a taste of, you know, what is this? You know, I knew it would be good, but, like, how good? Um, and let me just say the first, I don't have it in front of me because it's paywalled and I'm on my desktop. I only have the app on my phone. Mm. God, Jesus. Um, but the first line well, is like, oh, I've got Barack it Obama. Yeah, what is the Barack Obama is like one of the great living writers or something like that. Yeah. Something, what is it, what's the line? Barack Obama is as fine a writer there it as is. they come. And that's not for politicians. That's not like grading on a curve. That's just straight up. And it's true. He's just a wonderful writer. Yeah. And then oh, I the read the very end. the second sentence is good, too. Yeah, don't read the... Don't is, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Go okay, on. here's the second sentence. Yeah. It is not merely that this book avoids being ponderous, as might be expected, even forgiven of a hefty memoir, but mm-hmm. that it is nearly always pleasurable to read sentence by sentence, the prose gorgeous in places, the detail granular and vivid. Are you beyond the paywall? Yeah, I'm beyond. Go the go go to the end and read about how. Um, start after. Um, so Michelle Obama tells him. There's a couple of quotes from Michelle Obama, but then start after her last quote at the end. Oh, if I'm okay, remembering me... this right. Okay. Early in the relationship, Michelle asks why he always chooses the hard way. Later, she tells him it's like you have a hole to fill. That's why you can't slow down. Johnny Ringo. Indeed. Go ahead. Indeed. Here, then, is an overwhelmingly decent man giving an honest account of himself. It is now normal to preface any praise of a public figure with the word flawed, but who isn't flawed? As a convention, it feels like an ungracious hedge, a churlish reluctance to commend the powerful or famous no matter how well-deserved. The story will continue in the second volume, but Barack Obama has already illuminated a pivotal moment in American history and how America changed while also remaining unchanged. There you go. Damn. I love a review that's actually enjoyable to read. And it's too. long. There's a lot, too. I mean, you probably yeah. noticed in scrolling from I had to, to scroll bottom. a lot. Yeah. So I'm saving that for after I get through the whole book, but it's mm-hmm. making me even more excited. To, I, I was definitely interested, but I think this moves my needle. Whoa! Um, yeah. uh, from uh, <laughs> from merely interested to quite excited. Jesus well, we Christ. were. Is this, is this <laughs> labeled <laughs> clean? What do we? What do we need to do here? Look, it wasn't weird until you said whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've always got the HR scanner going. He, he was born with the HR scanner. <laughs> yeah, that's right. uh, <laughs> um, well, we were talking about how we're both going to read it in yeah. hardcover and maybe we would do it a feels discussion like, of that. I feel like we're going to book club our way through this one. I think we are too. It's 768. I don't know. Do we do the whole thing at once? I'm not sure what to do, but I am now in firmly in the camp of um, being excited about this. And yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what else to say. Secondary question. Let's do a sponsor. And I've got another question for you. Jamanda, I, I don't know that it would have, t- like, I think my list looks like, a lot like yours. It would have taken me a while to think of her. Yeah. Um, but I hoped I would have at the beginning. But I think she would have immediately shot up my draft board. I think I want her more than Marilyn, frankly. I want her mm-hmm. more than Jasmine Ward because she has an insider-outsider kind of thing that's going on. I, I just She's a beautiful writer herself. Um, anyway, these will all be wonderful picks. But it got me thinking. Writers that book nerds like us mm-hmm. know by just their first name. 
Like she's got oh. a unique one, right? So that's easier, but also mm-hmm. whatever. She has her own vibe. Here's who I have right now. And these are all, these are living writers. Okay. Taniasi. Mm-hmm. Um, Colson. Yep. I've got, um, let's see, who's a, there's someone else. Oh, Tony, uh, Tony, but we know who we're talking mm-hmm. about, but she's dead. Um, I think, I think I had one. I can't even read my own handwriting. <laughs> Is that it? That might be it. Yeah, I think that's, I, am I, who am I, who do people, what writers can you say just their first name? Now, these people are wonderful writers, but also have a distinctive first name. You have some problems in other situations, like mm-hmm. when people used to talk about Jonathan Franz, and you couldn't just say Jonathan. Right. You could because there's Which, Jonathan Saffron Fower, yeah. and there's Jonathan Lethem. Like, there was, we're lousy with Jonathans back in yeah. the early 2000s. <laughs> um, but outside, but there are some people, like, if you're talking about basketball and you talk about Michael, it doesn't matter mm. how many Michaels are because you know which Michael right. you're talking about. I don't even think Franzen got to the lead of the Jonathans. Like you still were like, there was some you had to dis- do some disambiguation around Jonathan there. So there mm-hmm. might be people out there now, where who do you know? Who can you say just their first name? You can't say Stephen. If I say Stephen, do you know who I'm talking about? I would assume it's Stephen King. Yeah, right. But you would say King. Right. Is there anybody yeah, else? There's- there are very few, I guess, the, I'm going to call these the Madonna writers, like the one right. name. There are right. very few of those, yeah. Unless you have an, a distinctive name and or, a, you know, mm-hmm. the top tier, which, you know, that's the Taniasis uh, and the, the mm-hmm. Jasmines and the um, uh, Chimamandas do. Or Zadie's another one. Zadie, everyone knows who you're mm, talking Zadie, about. yeah. That was the one I couldn't read my handwriting when I was like, what am I saying? Codley? Codley? No, that's a Z, <laughs> dummy. Um but for there is no, I don't think there's a Michael Jordan is what I'm trying to say. I'm not there saying mm. for our world, there's not a Michael. I agree. Is there? I don't think so. Podcast at bookriot.com. Danielle, am I talking, are you know I'm talking about Steele? Do you know? Oh, no. I was like. I'm, I'm no, just looking, I'm just thinking of the gold, the embossed Maybe Nora, people. like Nora Roberts. Nora Roberts. That's interesting. But you wouldn't just say Nora. You'd say Nora Roberts. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I guess I if you were... I think we might be the wrong generation to have a yeah. one-name reference to Nora, but I would believe that like our moms maybe talked to their mm. friends about reading Nora's new book. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm just looking over... I'm just looking at some general lists, just like, who do you even... <laughs> Like people that sell a bunch of books. Maybe if you say Malcolm, mm. my first thought is Malcolm X. <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell is the the living writer that sells the most books. Like Sedaris, you say Sedaris. David is too general. Yeah. Like it's yeah. We mostly know these people by their last names. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if like um, Margaret for Margaret Atwood. Mm. Getting closer. Getting closer. Anyway, I just thought that was notable. I thought th- there was a notable. day. Where if you said Ernest, like in the 20s, or if you said, um, uh, who am I trying to think of now? Oh, come on. Um, James Michener. I think it, it, there was a point where Michener mm-hmm. sold so many books that if you said James Michener, he had, people forget. Well, actually, people don't forget. They just don't ever know. Michener yeah. moved units like nobody. He moved weight like nobody else um, in the 60s and 70s. So it's, I just, it, I thought it was a kind of a fun yeah, thing because I knew I could say Chimamanda and you're like, oh. 
Oh, right. I, I was like, so... who else could I do that with? Marilyn, yeah. maybe? Roxanne, right. it's maybe? In- Oprah. Yeah, it's Oprah. It's interesting. Or, you know, Glennon. But Glennon Doyle is like a Glennon. figure. Glennon. And there's that. She's a cultural figure and... It's a distinctive first name. And I feel that mm-hmm. way about Brene, you know. Yeah, I was going to say Brene is the one in our parlance. You can say Brene. And some of that is yeah. a last name. If you said Brown, you're like, Brown, Brown. Right. There's too many Browns. We just don't have monoculture anymore where everybody's reading the same 20 big books every year and talking about them in that way. Yeah, if you go back to maybe the heyday of the Barnes and Noble bestseller, kind of like the Tom Clancy's, mm-hmm. the John Grisham's, the Mike, Tom, John, and Michael, like, good luck. It's just like... <laughs> Pick which white guy you want to, you know, like pick a white name out of a hat. I mean, um, that's how those bestseller lists work anyways. <laughs> well, that's what I, that's the, the, yeah. the, the, hege- the hegemony of naming convention and list right. uh, coalesces to form an undifferentiated morass of prejudice. <laughs> that and is boringness. just a sentence. <laughs> it's really coming out now, Rebecca. It's really, it's really flowing <laughs> at this point. Uh, all right. I, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated to see. I think I wouldn't mind seeing, I mean, surely multi-perspective voices around here. Um, But uh, Jim Wanda, that's pretty good. If we're we're going to do a bonus episode about the Obama memoir, probably part of the research will be reading a bunch of the interesting reviews. Mm Mm-hmm. That'll yeah. just be such work, Jeff. It'll be. It's yeah. like how right now I'm reading oral histories of the West Wing. It's awful. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm trying to think now. I, I think there's also part of me that would like a scholarly, like the Michael Eric Dyson, Henry Louis Gates. Oh, Michael you know, Eric the, Dyson. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One of those um, people. Um, one of my Michael old professors Eric? at Columbia University, Farrah Jasmine Grissom, who's a literary critic too, who writes beautifully about writing and mm-hmm. um, popular culture. Someone like that. Who and, and again, the 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 venue matters. Like I'm sure an academic historical journal would write something different than the New York Times review, um, New York Times book review, which is still mm-hmm. the review of record. Yeah. Um, oh, here's this is, is out of left field, but I'm watching the new series, or I've been watching the new um, drop. There's only four episodes of the Letterman interview series on oh, Netflix, huh, which I yeah. really love. Right. Um, he's a good interviewer, and there's one with Dave Chappelle who has done hmm. some writing in the last couple of years and is one of, I think, like the contrast of Chappelle and Obama in the way that they That's address things is really interesting. And I would love a Dave Chappelle review of the Obama book. Ibram Kendi is probably the one I would pick, um, right? I mean, mm. that's where you that's where you want to mm-hmm. go from there. But I'll read again, if it's as um, good as we've been, would probably expect, and then these early indications are, um, that it that it holds force on this promise. Um, I guess the the one thing I have, well I have many things in mind as I'm reading thinking about it and the principle among those is what we were talking about before we knew the outcome of the election is to read it with that duality in mind of how would this have read in the bad place, you know? Right. Because the book is done. The book is the book, right? They're not changing anything depending on the election. Mm-hmm. So. Was he writing for posterity? How much was he writing for knowing that people would be getting this book, you know, a mere two weeks after the election? I'd be curious to hear, maybe you say, write it as if there were no election. But how do you do that? How do you do that? I don't know. It seems impossible. Yeah. So I'm fascinated with that situation. I don't know that, that you could situation. do that. Be interesting. You know? Yeah. So anyway, 
Uh, what else we got? Uh, what well, Coates? Coates' name came up. So yeah, let's talk about Coates. Yeah, news this week. So, and I'm actually I'm kind of surprised we hadn't heard about that this hadn't happened sooner. But um, no. Oprah, Oprah's um, Harpo Films production company has teamed up with Brad Pitt's Plan B production company, and they are going to develop and release an adaptation of mm-hmm. um, Between the World and Me. Oh, sorry. They did Between the World and Me. They're going to do The Water Dancer. The Water Dancer. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think that's going to be interesting. You know, we we did book club The Water Dancer, mm-hmm. and there are some messy things in the novel that I think you could solve with good screenwriting. Like, I, yep. I was thinking back on this, that one of the big problems with the book, one of the weaknesses, I'll say, because it's not like a big problem, but one of the weaknesses of the book is uh, characters that have like very long uh, monologue sort of navel gazing moments um, or mm. very long internal monologue moments and you can't just do that on screen for 90 minutes or two hours no. um, but there's a lot of beautiful stuff that happens in the book and the story itself is really interesting so I'm I am more excited about the concept of the water dancer now thinking about it as a film and i think it has a shot to be one of those situations where the adaptation is better than the source material Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's that's very very reasonable um and also a director a screen a screenplay can do some things differently but then a director Mm -hmm. you can do some things differently about how that's all going to shake out um i uh i wonder if brad pitt himself i mean he has his own production company i wonder if he's going to play there is a part for Brad Pitt in this movie that mm-hmm. is an unflattering look. But Brad Pitt, he doesn't... I was thinking about this. Brad Pitt villain. Does does any role jump off? Do you know of a... Mm-mm. Can you think of a Brad Pitt villain role? Off no. the top of your head. Don't IMDb it. I didn't, so... Mm-mm. No, no, no. I Because I DiCaprio, DiCaprio did a turn as a terrible... I mean... Labeled yeah. terrible, but especially bad, you know, caricature over the top. Seemed like he was really going for it in um, uh, Django and Chain, the Quentin Tarantino. There is mm-hmm. a similar kind of a role in Water Dancer that Pitt could play. He'd be interesting to see him do that. Um, but to my, I can't think of Pitt as the bad guy. I can't think of I, one thing, and I would like to see it uh, in any case. I would like to would see it too. too. I think it would be really interesting yeah he does weird roles you know like he's mm-hmm. he's done plenty weird unusual things but i've never seen him just as a straight up bad guy yeah um anyway there i've got a little a, a email from the listener saying they um they really got on the horse because they're it's a re- responding to the buy sell and hold saying they thought that was really mm-hmm. interesting how mu- they were wondering how much of what we think the notable books of the year are line up with bestsellers and I was like, hmm, oh. that's an interesting question. And we will get the bestsellers of the year data towards the end. I went back and found the mid-year bestsellers of the mm-hmm. mis- bestsellers. And zero of the yeah, adult gonna... titles we talked about are in the top 20. Yeah, I was going to be surprised if it was more than like 10%. <laughs> well, John Bolton's A Room Where It Happened, we threw into the category of Trump books. So I'll give us credit for that. Okay. The other thing you have to remember about best-selling books is we were talking about things released in 2020. And a lot mm-hmm. of the best-selling books, even if they meet the year criteria where they get to be a year on these things, were released in 2019. So you got to remember, 
we're talking crawdads is still eligible. Right. Um, that's the number one uh, mid-year. We're talking Becoming by uh, Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. We're talking The Little Fires Everywhere Adaptation was out. Um, right. Uh, unfortunately, that one book that we did a pre thing saying we're not going to talk about it, but you know, whatever that book is on this list. Um, the boy, the mole, and the fox, and the horse, which we talked about, which is the Barnes and Noble Book of the Year pick, oh, yeah. um, was still on this list. You get a Grisham, okay. you get a Stephen King, um, mm-hmm. you get you some do you educated get like a big lifestyle kind of book. Yeah, well, the the number two book is Magnolia Table Volume Two, there it is. right by the Joanna mm-hmm. Gaines. You get. Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility and um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Those are earlier releases that were in the middle of the white hot center of the reemergence of Black Lives Matter and the movement in the summertime. Um, but so there you go. I don't know that any of the books we talked. Well, yeah. Obama's book it, is going to come flying out of the gate. So I would be shocked yeah. if it's not on the top 20 and, by the time we get there. And maybe if we look at year end like hardcover bestsellers, we might yep. have some overlap of like what were the new release hardcovers that did well, mm-hmm. like. I don't know what the long tail of like the vanishing half has been, but I think it hit the bestseller list when it first came out. Yeah. Nonfiction, I don't think we're going to have anything there. The number 20 but, book, yeah. the number 20 adult title in June or July was So You Want to Talk About Race. It sold 201,000 copies. I don't think Vanishing Half, yeah. Deacon King Kong, no. I, uh, what, none of those novels that we really liked. Now, mm-hmm. notable, are people going to care about it in the future is different than now because I think people aren't going to care as much about. Oh, I'm just putting something out there. Uh, the Room Where It Happened, right? That's a number three. That sold right. half a million copies. It's not going to age well. The Four Agreements, one of these business books. Burn After Writing, The mm-hmm. Five Love Languages. I mean, The Tattooist of Outswitch is a paperback barn burner. Like, that's one of the great um, success stories of the last few years in, in adult fiction. If we jump down to the YA side, Ballads of Songbirds and Snakes we had on our list. Midnight Sun hadn't yeah. come out yet. That will be on the best-selling books of the year list. Ballad mm-hmm. of Songbirds and Snakes. I didn't remember this. I knew it I knew it flew out. In July, it had sold 887,000 units, which is num- number one, by 100, 150,000 over crawdads. The number two YA, Chain of Gold by Cassandra Clare. You want to guess uh-huh. the units on that one? The number no, two in July? I don't. <laughs> 124. I don't even want to try. 124. So that's a that's a seven spot yep. <laughs> that Colin Collins did on Claire. Um, then stamped by Jason Reynolds and Kendi was number three. That I would assume would be uh, remain on the list. The Giver, The Hate You Give, One of Us Is Lying, Conference Birds, Live the Southern Line. Okay. All of those I could see being passed. Um, Midnight yeah. Sun. Let me think it. Go ahead. I think it goes to a bigger point that like the best sellers of a year are rarely the things that endure right, for right. the long haul. Yeah. So we weren't really trying, I guess, were, are there any books on this list is what I was thinking that we maybe um, should have put on here. There were new things that came out. Mm. <sighs> the The one that I was looking at is Eric Larson's The Splendid and the Vile. Which oh. Larson's books sell, and, yeah. the, and people read, they go back and read the whole thing, like Dave McCullough or Sedaris or someone else like that. Mm-hmm. Sedaris has a book out that we didn't talk about. It's a new one that's out this week. But I think it's hard to differentiate one Sedaris from another. Like, it's a David Sedaris book, not what was yeah, that book by David Sedaris. It's just, it's just I different. I think this might be a David Sedaris clip show also. I'm not sure it's new material. Who knows, right? Who can tell? <laughs> Does it even matter? Yeah. doesn't matter. I love David Sedaris, but will I know that totally. I remember listening to that one? It's like, that's right. a compliment and a, and a slam, I get, or I, I don't know. He has a thing that he does, and he's great, and no one does anything mm-hmm. like what he does. Yeah. I will listen to every David Sedaris audiobook that I can. 
but ask me to name seven of them. Like I can, <laughs> you know, what's that, what are they about? What do they mean? I don't know. Or it just is. Try to remember which story is from which David Sedaris book. Like, Good that's luck. Good night, task, nurse. Yeah. No way. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of what else here. Yeah, I, I, I don't see. I don't see anything else. I think the YA version of Stamped is maybe one you could have we could have say we slept on because mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. book's going to be taught and used and talked about. Um, I don't tend to think of the YA version of these of adult books as being something I care about, but that one serves a real role that teachers and librarians and parents, frankly, are looking for. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I think that's going to age very well over time um, as being useful. So yeah, that's one we could have. If I had the opportunity to hold or buy on stamped, I would have. It was not. Mm-hmm. I'm selling yeah. everything else. I'm selling <laughs> the Kobe Bryant book. I mean, get out of here with this stuff. Uh, sorry. To, to no, I'm not sorry. Not sorry about that. Uh, I'm selling the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. Are we really going to think that's going to be amongst the Mount Rushmore of like picture illustrated where the wild thing? It's is it going to be where the wild things are? Because it's selling like it's going to be where the wild things are. And you will lose a lot of money betting books are going to join the children's. Um, Wait, it's a children's book? It's a, it's kind of, I, is Where the Wild Thing Are a children's book? Do kids like Where the Wild Things Are is a better question. <laughs> I'm serious. That's not a joke. Uh, Parents like Where the Wild Things Are. In my experience of trying to read that book to kids, they're like, what in the hell is happening? What kind of adult nostalgia pain nonsense is this? <laughs> adult nostalgia pain nonsense. I this is how little I know about the boy, the fox, the whatever is Yeah, horse, like, the, I the thought, boy, the cup, the horse, the turn, the leaf, the screw. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was I like I thought this was like adult fiction. No one wants to ride the train with me of how weird of a pick that was and how weird it is that sells. It's 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 strange. It's 100% weird. Yeah. It's weird. Anyway. Have any of you read it? Please email us and tell us why. Because I haven't read the whole thing. I thumbed through it at Powell's in the before times. Um, Boy, would I love to go go hate read or or just skeptical read. Maybe I'd love it. I don't know. I'm a weird guy. I like things. Who knows? I'm reading the jacket copy on the interweb right yeah. now, and I can see why they're what the pitch is. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Asked the mole. Kind, said the boy. So, inspiration and hope in uncertain times, following the tale of a curious boy, a greedy mole, a wary fox, and a wise horse, find themselves in difficult terrain. It's like um, if Brene Brown wrote a book, wrote a novel. Yeah, I was like, what maybe? if Aesop's? What if like, Aesop had read Who Moved My Cheese? That's what I feel right, like. like with this spiritual cheese. Like, is yeah. it? Are you supposed to read this with your kids? Or are you supposed to just read it? This for is what your... I'm saying. Okay, so if you've read this, email us at podcastofbookriot.com. Give us your four sentence review. Also, yeah. what is your experience it's... of reading Where the Wild Things Are to Children? Does that go great for you? Are librarians like, you know what? I'm going to rip out today on this rainy day. Where the wild things are. I think that's more of a, I think it's like a, an adult, like mm. I throw myself in there. Like this is, I, I don't know. I, I'm going yeah, to, I want to play, I, I want to play that's... opera for you. That's what it feels yeah. like. Like, okay. So I'm, I Googled the boy, the whatever, and it's uh, the Amazon listing shows it ranking in literary graphic novels, philosophy of ethics and morality and happiness, self-help. So like, if that's your bedtime reading with your kids, <laughs> 
sucks. I'm sorry to them, I guess. It's like the giving tree. It's like, yeah, I guess, but also oh. no, don't do oh, that. Are we going to have our rant about the giving tree? Oh, now? You know, we, 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 that's a, that's a, we, that, that's, you know, that's a, that stump will be there. We can come back to that one if we want. <laughs> Spoiler true. alert. Um, what am I doing? We're talking about books. <laughs> best, oh, we're trying to connect best-selling books to notable and using the bestseller list as sort of a filter. It's like there's mm. anything uh, we really missed. I don't think so. I mean, there's another do- no. Dogman 8. That one going to stick out from the crowd? <laughs> Diary of a Wimpy Kid 14. My kid loved those books. That's great for kids. Kids love to read them. Can't, mm. Thrilled they're there, but like... Right. Word. It's, like it's not one. It's not the first or the last. Yeah, yeah, right. Number six hundred and seventy-two. Yeah. If we're the first or the last, maybe we can have a conversation. But first, we would know it's a phenomenon, and will we know it's the last one? There you go. So. Um, <laughs> wow, that got very deep all of a yeah. sudden. Let's take one last break and do a couple more uh, news things, then we'll get out of here. Well, speaking of the book, the news stories that we could have had headlines from in 2015 and talked about, um, I thought this would be better by now. I'm naive. You know, I'm just letting myself up to be disappointed. I also don't – we don't do a lot – children's books. We're kind of out of that. We're into middle grade and YA, mm-hmm. and that kind of doesn't come in here. But UK children's books, eight times more likely to feature animals than characters of color, which is yeah, not the- great – but also there are a lot of books about animals. Like how many, what, what's the ratio of right. books about animals to books about real people, I guess, as a baseline. This is still not what you want, but right. we were just talking and, about a boy with the horse, the mole, and the turtle, and the whatever. Nine <laughs> of those things are animals. One is a boy. The only upside is that this is from a UK study that's done yeah. every year. And in 2017, it was 1%. So now in so we're up ten x twenty twenty yeah uh, it's five percent oh five percent five percent yeah so yeah five percent now of children's books have black Asian or minority ethnic protagonists which you know they're they are talking about UK books so they abbreviate the collective of marginalized groups a little bit differently um, than we do so that's like five x improvement in two years is pretty good but like please keep that going yeah. Um, it's good yeah. and bad. I mean, the good part is five. I mean, one to five percent. I, I think we should be what's hard peddling that. <laughs> the office itself yeah, peddling like that if, is hard peddling that. Like that like, is a big can, deal, but it's not yeah. enough. Right. If you go from yeah. if they can keep this five X thing and go from five percent to twenty five percent in the right. next couple of Three, years, five years, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. If you do that, you're still under the overall you know proportion proportional representation of people of color, but 25% is much better than 1%. And to go from 1% to 25 mm-hmm. in a handful of years would be really great. Then just keep yeah. on going. Um, yeah. yeah. More info about that in this guardian piece by Allison flood, but that's the top line. Yeah. I guess if you had said, if we'd see, we probably covered this 2017 story or like when, whenever sure this thing was done, yeah. if you had said, will you take one to 5% in three years? Would you sign for that right now? Yeah. I think I probably would have. Three years ago. Now, I wouldn't have said, now we're done, but I'd say, you know. Right, right. Quintupling in three years? Mm-hmm. I think that's a win. I'm going to take that as a, as, well, I'm going to take it's that progress. as a good, a good nine link, a good nine holes, maybe. You know, yeah. we're not done, but there's some more golf to do, but mm-hmm. so far so good with that improvement there. Um, I'm looking at other listener feedback. I don't have a lot of recommendation requests for ourselves this year. Mm, which good i like that 
we have over time hit the please, please don't feel bad about asking <laughs> you for yourself. So I, we have causal density here. Um, but <laughs> uh, your new favorite phrase, my new favorite. I love go go Google that for it. go Google. Do yourself a favor and Google that. Um, so I'm not sure if we have encouraged this, or people are like, you know what? I want my own <laughs> my own recommendations. Whatever, uh, treat yourself. The only other segment I had for you, Rebecca, is would you like to hear anonymized, hashed things publishers are seeing in 2021? I've been on 20-ish sales calls with some of our sales folks over the last two weeks. And I can't can't name imprints, um, even specific titles. But would you like to hear the, the few takeaways I'm hearing from multiple people? Would you like to do that? I would. Yes, I would. What would you have done if I'd said no? You can find show notes at bookwrite.com. Uh, I don't this know. Is a I've been surprised. I would have been hurt and surprised. No, I'm I, um, would never. I would never. I would never leave yeah, you in your rhetorical question. Yeah. out in the cold. Uh, yeah. Number one with a bullet. I think this is the thing we're hearing from most people that they were saying um, cautious optimism for 2021. All cautious right. optimism. I feel And that. I think that's warranted. We've seen the numbers of book sales go up. Mm-hmm. Um, they're holding steady now. Holiday season, no bookstores, stimulus money's run out. I think everyone's like, "Well, what about now?" But I think everyone was, everyone that we talked to, was didn't want to say over the moon with how things went, considering what they thought they could have been in you know on March eighteenth, right? Right. When everyone's going, schools are closing and people are losing their jobs, like. Publishing was one of the winners. Publishing. Now, I'm not saying bookstores. not saying that. But publishing has -hmm. done very, very well. So that's one. Um, I think I told you this one already. But in normal times, debut fiction, I mean, only harder than poetry to sell. Debut fiction. yes. Especially tough now. People are reading and rereading. They're buying, but they're rereading backlist, old favorites, books by authors they've known, but maybe never picked up before. You know, they're going to pick up uh, Lila by Marilyn Robinson, for mm-hmm. example, uh, or something like that. Or for, not that that's one people mentioned, but we were talking about backlist too, like people doing yeah. stuff like that. Debut fiction is insanely hard to move. Well, you and I talked about on the buy, sell, holds, feeling very sorry for the people who are trying, who got their break. I've got a book mm-hmm. coming out. I spent three years doing it. It's been my dream to write a book. And it didn't sell. And they got their book tour canceled. And they did some Zoom calls with their local indie. And that, I mean, that is a tough, I feel that's a it tough really beat. It really is. Yeah. Very tough beat. Um, on the other hand, backlist even more. One of the secrets we know and we talk about and say, do you guys know this? We scream about how people don't know that, don't know this would be a secret. The percentage of books that are actually backlist that actually comprise dollars that are mm. into the book economy so many. is insane. And one of the reasons the bestseller lists choose to crowd out books that have come out more than a year ago is because it would be hard to find a new release on that list. For the first time, I'm hearing some major publishers in a serious way talk about, and this intersects with our business, how mm-hmm. to spend marketing dollars around backlist. How would you do it? What would you do? This is something we've been beating our heads against forever. 
Finally now. It's like, you know what? It's hard to sell debut fiction. People are buying backlist. Maybe we should give a little bit lift to that. That will only make it harder, I think, to sell debut fiction if you're taking some li- So I don't know. There's a, there's a unvirtuous circle. Um, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a sinful square, I guess, is the opposite of the unvirtuous <laughs> circle. There's a sinful square that could happen um, in that kind of a situation. So that's one thing I'm hearing as well. There's a little bit of an A-B test the universe thing of people like... Okay. Well, what if we didn't send people on these expensive book tours and they met with 10 people in nine different cities over three weeks that cost $10,000 and maybe sold 58 copies direct in those bookstores? People trying digital digital events of all kinds and Zooms and Instagram Lives. One of the questions I had is that what people were telling us in March and April when I did a round of calls around the same time. This one's like, I think this is going to be part of the future, even in the after times of COVID, that mm-hmm. we've been wondering about the utility of the mid-list book tour. And I wonder if that the reign of that is going to be significantly downplayed. And you're going to be doing Zoom calls, digital events, YouTube things people are mucking about with. But what if you took all of the money that went into plane tickets and Radisson hotels into developing really awesome digital events? Mm -hmm. They're wondering the same thing. Um, this this is for the publishing industry. Is you your your hobby horse about uh, print galleys? Like every like <laughs> I think I think ultimately publishing Yay. would like to be able to say to everyone, most of the time the author tour is a loser for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Let's not do it and try to figure out a way to make the galleys great. You know, get galleys and what is the galley digital galley version of author events and doing author focused publicity <laughs> around a title? Um, mm. So there's that one too. Okay. Let's see. Those are my three big ones, I guess. Um, I mean, we we talked about this before. This is the most obvious thing in the world, but kids' books, educational books, flying off the shelf. Like, literally becoming sentient and flying off the shelves. They're moving them so fast. <laughs> I didn't hear as much about having trouble printing as we may have thought oh, based on some of, the cover- some of the coverage we've done. Um, so that was interesting as well. Um, yeah, that's it. Thoughts, okay. questions, reactions, any surprises there that make sense? Where are, you, where are you coming from? That all that all makes sense. I'm happy to hear cautious optimism. I think that yeah. feels true. Um, yeah, publishing has, I think publishing is so slow to change on its own that it's interesting to watch an industry that works the way publishing does be forced to make yeah. a lot of big changes rapidly and to discover like that it can and that mm. it can do that and not die mm. and like you know have made these adaptations and discovered i think useful information like maybe digital events can work really well maybe mm. it is much more cost effective to promote books that way than to send authors to 10 cities to stay in 10 different radisson hotels mm. and the stuff around galleys will be interesting too you know i wonder also like we've talked in the past about if there were fewer dollars spent acquiring front list books, or what if acquiring editors had to be more like realistic in their, um, I'm losing terminology, not P&Ls, upfront. In, in the, their, no, their P&L in the, uh, advances. in the advances that they give. Yeah. That like very, we, we see a lot more like million dollar advances than we see books that earn out million dollar advances. Mm-hmm. So what if that had to become more realistic because most money is made on backlist. So more marketing was going to go to backlist and you had to like really selectively acquire 
front list that was good and sellable or that you thought Mm. could find an audience i think that would like that's a potential interesting shift in publishing and don't send me your cranky emails about how it's mean to writers if fewer of them get book deals um i don't i don't care you know Um, what's mean to writers publishing their book and sending the 10 radisons and it's 400 i mean i don't know which way do you want to be mean (laughs) or publishing their book and not having any marketing budget besides crossing your fingers and hoping someone will recommend it like yeah the number of sales meetings that slapped on the left cheek is just as bad as getting slapped on the right yeah the number of sales meetings we've both sat in in the Mm. last nine years where people have been like well we're not really spending money on that title but we're hoping it'll get some word of mouth is like you want to slave away writing your book for several years and then finally getting a book deal and find out that that's the situation yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah i have a weird um like reader miscellany thing to share that just came across my dashboard this week that I think might be interesting for folks. So the headline is literary puzzle solved for just the third time in almost 100 years. This is a weird story. Had you ever heard of this? this. No, not until you dropped this link in. Okay. Yeah. I had never heard of this either. So there's this puzzle book called Cain's Jawbone, Cain like Cain and Abel. Um, It was published in 1934. And it was dreamed up by Edward Poe's Mathers, who was known as Torquemada and was the observer's first cryptic crossword inventor. It Mm. invites the reader to so the book has 100 pages, it invites the reader to reorder the book's 100 pages, which means there are more than 32 million possible combinations and solve the murders within. And since 1934, just two readers have managed to solve the puzzle. Both of them did it in the 1930s, a Mr. S. Sidney Turner and a Mr. W. S. Kennedy. And both of them won 25 pounds for having done it. And now a third person has finally done this. It was republished, I believe, last year. And a a third person has done this. So you can get all the information in this Guardian piece, uh, also by Allison Flood, about Kane's jawbone. Uh, it's been published by Unbound. But I was thinking this is kind of perfect for like we're going back into winter and there yeah. are probably going to be either shutdowns or just more folks uh, adhering to kind of the quarantine lifestyle. Like You could keep yourself busy for a long time with 32 million combinations of murders to solve in this book and i really like i'm not a murder mystery person i'm kind of notorious for like i'm always surprised at the end of a mystery by (laughs) who did it (laughs) like like it's it's a weird like i don't know the butler who could have thought yeah like i guess i'm a i I can be won over by or like i'll i can be captured by suspension of disbelief that's good that's all right you want yeah i can be captured by good writing in a way that does make it surprising to me like who it was gonna be and uh, this is not the thing for me but i'm sure some of y'all have read a jillion mystery books and would be really good at this and unbound is offering a 1000 pound prize to anyone who can solve it. So the the person who just solved it is named John Finnamore. He's a British comedy writer and he was one of 12 entrants in this first um, mm. in the competition. He was the only one to get the answer right. And he just said, this is so like typically British understated. It was far and away the most difficult puzzle I've ever attempted. <laughs> wow. Um, it took him four months. He book said, idea. Not con- book idea. Yeah. Middle yeah. grade. This. this. No. Mm-hmm. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but this, and you get to win the uh, great author's uh, inheritance. 
Interesting. I like it. You like it. Yeah. Yeah. He spent four months doing it. He said not continuously, but I had it spread out on the spare bed. So every so often I'd potter in, stare at it till my forehead bled, spend an hour online researching the history of Shrewsbury Prison or something, swap three cards, move one back and potter off again. (laughs) How anyone solved it before the internet, I cannot imagine. Damn it. Should we get annotated (laughs) back out? I feel like we could dust it off. Maybe. There's a lot I want to know. Yeah, what this when it popped up this week, I was like, "What?" And it, I mean, there's clearly a story here. So yeah. that's Kane's jawbone. A mystery. Can you just go buy it? Can you go get? Can I go? Do I go on Amazon and buy a copy of Kane's jawbone? Like, what do I do? Where do let's, I start? Let me let me see. I mean, it was published by Unbound. Let me see. Let's go to let's go to the old Amazon. I like that Unbound is the name of the uh, the the publisher. Mm-hmm. When really, literally, you have to move the pages around. Like you need it's to temporary. unbound. <laughs> It's temporarily out of stock, but probably because everyone was reading this Guardian piece. Okay, there's like a six percent chance is all hoax. I'm just putting it out there. This is all (laughs) this is all disinformation. I mean, right? Like six percent. You take in the over under on six percent that this is a hoax. I mean, it's listed on the Unbound website. I'm looking Mm -hmm. there now. Unbound.com. Unbound.io, registered in Zimbabwe. Sounds legit. Sounds legit. (laughs) You can buy it there. It's $30 for the puzzle Mm -hmm. in a box. Sure. $30 for hours and hours of entertainment that will probably have no resolution. It's probably, Um, so you solve it in um, Ovaltine. It's Ovaltine. For those of you who get that reference. (laughs) Oh, that would be so disappointing. Drink more Ovaltine. Drink more Ovaltine. Read more... Solve read more, solve more puzzles. Yeah, read subscribe. more books. No, you know what it would be? It'd be um, like and subscribe our YouTube channel. That's what you get to oh, at the end of. <laughs> Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a new video. <laughs> Podcast at bookriot.com, bookriot.com slash listen for links to the show notes and this very real mystery book that is super real. Um, <laughs> Rebecca, we'll talk to you later. Have a good one. <laughs>